Hi folks, this is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things that we can all do to live a better life. If times get tough, or even if they don't. Coming to you once again from Hot Springs Village, Arkansas, high atop the Highway 7 Ridge Line from TSPN. That's the Survival Podcast Network headquarters. Today is Tuesday, February 21, 2012. This is episode 844 of the Survival Podcast. I want to put a little, I don't know, a little bee in your bonnet or something like that today with the date. February 21. Doesn't sound like that big a deal, does it? But we're exactly one month and actually a little bit less than what we usually think of as a month because February is a short month away from March 21st. What's March 21st? Spring equinox. That's right. We are a month away from the first official day of spring. The year is marching on. Time is marching on. Are you working on personal liberty and independence? Because either you are and you're getting more of it or you aren't and you're getting less of it. There is no static positioning in life. We're all moving on a sliding scale. It's up to us to determine what direction that we're moving. With that said, I think we're going to have a cool show today. We're not going to get too serious today. Today we're going to talk about takedown guns. Takedown guns are any kind of a gun that you were able to take down into smaller, shorter component parts so that it can be easily packed or stored or possibly taken to a place where, you know, a big long thing would be identified as a rifle and set off alarms and you don't want it to. That's not for nefarious purposes. Uh, there's a lot of legitimate practical advantages to takedown guns and we're going to talk about a huge variety of them today. Most of what I'm going to talk about is stuff that I've actually put my hands on and shot or I personally own, uh, and then I'm going to give you some thoughts on a few other ones that I've never actually shot, but I'm going to keep that to a minimum. So if you don't hear a particular model that you like or something, I'm not admitting it today because I don't like it. I'm, a, I'm trying to focus on the stuff I can actually give you hands-on, practical, yes, this works, here's what's good about it, here's what's bad of it type of thing. I don't do a ton of uh, stuff on guns on the show. I'm going to try to do a little bit more this year, though, because it is an important aspect of our freedom. It's an important aspect of the security portion of our preparedness. And I think it's something that a lot of my listeners have a lot of, uh, a lot of desire to know more about. So we'll talk about them a little bit more this year going forward. Before we do though, let's go ahead and take care of our sponsors. They do a lot to help take care of you. Sponsor of the day number one today, Western Botanicals. You know, I'm a big believer in herbals and I don't just mean like for acute situations. I mean day to day use right now. Uh, occasionally I'm pausing the microphone and to keep my voice uh, fresh because I'm doing like multiple shows right now because actually, you know, you're listening to this show on the uh, 21st of February. I'm doing it on the 16th of February as I get ready to build some extra shows up for you as we go into the Liberty Conference. So when I'm, when I'm doing a lot of extra talking, you know, I do things like right now I'm drinking peppermint tea. I know that doesn't sound very survivally, but survivability is about taking care of yourself and being able to stay healthy. And herbs help us do that. Now, Western Botanicals is great because if I don't have it and I need it, I know they do. I know that it's organically grown or wildcrafted, one or the other. And I know if I don't know what I need and I call them up, they're going to treat me like what I am, a valued customer and a real human being. And a real human being on the other end of the phone is going to help me make a decision. 
and make me a, make a proper decision for me. And I know that when they're out of something, that they always have something they can substitute for it. And they explain to me the advantage and disadvantage. Do I want to wait for it or do I want to take the substitute? See, you can't just have everything in stock all the time when you do things the way Western Botanicals does with, you know, wildcrafting being part of it. So sometimes they're out of something. But they'll always be able to say, well, you know, the main ingredient in that is turmeric. And uh, this particular product has some other things in it, but it's mostly turmeric, and this would work just as well. Would you like that instead? And I could say yes. Isn't that great? Instead of dealing with some customer service person in Dubai that has no idea who you are, doesn't care who you are, and is simply working on a time clock trying to get the call executed as quickly as possible, to have a real caring person on the other end of the line. That's the big thing that makes Western Botanicals so special. They've been a sponsor with us. They're going into their third year now. They also have a preferred membership program. If you want that and you're a member of our MSB, you get it for free for your first year and at half price for consecutive years if you want to keep it. It gives you 25% off everything they have. Next up today, KnifeKits.com. Knife Kits is a great place to go. If you are a master bladesmith and you make really awesome knives and you want cool exotic handle material or domestic steel or some kind of exotic stainless or exotic carbon steel or something like that, or if you've never made a knife before and you want to learn how, you want to pick up a DVD, a basic kit and some basic materials and get learning the craft from anybody from the beginner to the novice to the expert, everybody that wants to learn how to make knives or make better knives can utilize KnifeKits.com. Check them out. They also give a discount to members of the Support Brigade as well. Sometimes I forget to mention that with them. Remember, you can also connect with me on Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter. I've been putting a lot of stuff out over this uh, this last week, and a lot more stuff will continue to come out. Definitely will be Facebooking and tweeting from the Liberty Forum. Uh, should be some cool folks that will be meeting there, so stay in touch with me while I'm on the road. Uh, last but not least, do consider joining the Member Support Brigade. You do that, you get exclusive content available only to members. You get discounts to over 30 vendors, including now Palette and Press. Uh, that's a really big one that I was able to add for you guys this year. And uh, you get over $150 worth of free ebooks, and you get a lot of other stuff. But really what you're doing is you're supporting the show and the work we do here at 18.3 cents an episode is what it actually comes out to. So when you get done with each episode, if you think that's worth 20 cents, then consider joining. Remember, military, law enforcement, Peace Corps, active duty, or prior service, please send me some details about your service. Put something in the subject line like uh, military discount or service discount. Tell me who you who you are, where you were, what you did, or who you are, what you're doing, and what you do. And uh, that's enough, and I will send you a special discount code to thank you for your service to our nation. With that, i got the housekeeping wrapped up. Let's get into the subject. I thought it was a really cool thing to go into. This actually came from uh, last week on Monday. I had an ice storm, and I decided to call it a quits early, pick the dogs up from being boarded over the weekend, go the hell home. And I said, let's make it suggest a show day, posted a picture of that cool cardinal and everything else. And uh, a lot of suggestions came in, and one was a show on takedown guns. Now, I want to do a show for you on small bore shotguns, and that might get done during kind of my absence as well. We'll see. Uh, I kind of have that on the agenda. But this one actually intrigued me more, and I thought it would be more applicable because plenty of these guns could have small bore shotgun gauges as well. When I say small bore shotguns, I'm talking about uh, basically the 28 gauge and the 410 bore. And we won't get into the big difference between that, you know, bore versus gauge today, but just leave it at that. There are plenty of these, uh, these weapons actually have those, uh, potential opportunities for them. But what is a takedown gun? I, I kind of already told you this, but a takedown gun is any gun really, and some are specifically made to be takedown guns, and some by their very design end up being takedown guns, and how far you want them to be taken down is uh, up to you. But they allow you to take a weapon and put it in a place where maybe you couldn't normally put it, or it's just more convenient for you. There are a lot of places, for instance, where a private citizen cannot carry a handgun, just can't do it. 
uh, or it's very difficult to do, or it's very complicated to do, or the person just hasn't gotten the permit to carry yet. Uh, but in many places, and please check your local and state regulations before you act on this, in many places, carrying a rifle, especially in a case unloaded, is pretty much whatever you want it to be, except with going into private locations and stuff like that. But as far as your vehicle, uh, on your personal property, on private property, as long as they don't have an issue with it, um, you pretty much can carry a rifle anywhere in some uh, situations as long as it's not out in the open. Well, you know, think about a gun case. Go, you know, if you go to the, uh, you know, and I'm not saying you do this everywhere. Again, you guys, you got to check what's acceptable and what's not based on where you live. I think you should be able to carry whatever you want anywhere you want at all times, but that's not the reality on the ground. So check into the, to what works in your area and what doesn't. New Jersey would be entirely different and very dangerous to carry certain, at certain times in, uh, than let's say Texas. All right, in New Jersey, I, one guy went to jail for having a couple guns in a case locked up in the back of his trunk. So you guys really got to check your local regs. But there are places where you can carry a rifle where it's difficult to carry a handgun. And a rifle is a better tool for a lot of jobs. Even a pistol caliber carbine, which means you've got a pistol round, but we're in a, a rifle or a carbine format, often can be more useful in a tactical situation. I want you to think back to a historical event. There was a, a thing that happened in Austin, Texas, called the Bell Tower shootings. And this was the first school shooting in America, as far as I'm aware. And I don't remember the guy's name. I can look him up right now, but he's such a piece of garbage, I don't really want to give him uh, any lasting recognition by name. But it was a a douchebag that tweaked out, and I think the guy actually had a brain tumor, and it was part of what caused him to go over the edge. But he took a couple of rifles, and he went up at a bell tower in Austin, Texas, at the University of Texas, and started shooting people. And he shot a lot of people. And he was a good shot. This guy was a Marine-trained marksman, and he killed a lot of people, and he wounded a hell of a lot more. Well, this being Texas, uh, and this is a long time ago, this is 50s or 60s that this happened, uh, armed citizens went to trucks and, and what have you and got rifles and started returning fire on the guy. And then one police officer who responded to the scene, and this guy's now a retired Texas Ranger, but he was just a local PD guy at the time. And remember, these guys didn't have radios like they do today. When you went into a, a building back then, once you left your car, you were out of contact. He didn't know if anybody else was there. There was one other officer that responded, and when he was on his way almost to the top of the bell tower, he ran across a private citizen holding a rifle. And the guy said to him, are we playing for keeps? And the officer said, yes, we are. And uh, he said, then you better deputize me. And pretty much he did that on the spot. And this private citizen assisted uh, this officer and the, this next officer that showed up as they uh, actually shot and killed this guy that was killing people from the top of the bell tower. So my point is, and, and most of the audience would already know this, that it's very much the case that there are times when a private citizen might use a rifle to aid law enforcement. Because the problem that we have when we start talking about takedown guns is people see them as things that are in spy movies and things that assassins use. And it's like a nefarious thing, you know. They always have the guy that has the toolbox and he goes to the top of the building and, you know, the thing that looks like a can of Freon is actually a silencer and, you know, which is really a suppressor, not a silencer, but we're talking about movies here. And he screws it together and he shoots the president in the head from a thousand yards or some other nonsense. And so takedown weapons get that type of thing, but I want you to think about this. If it was a, if you had a, a rifle in your truck and something, God forbid, like this should happen again, and you were there and willing to respond, you're much better off than you are with your Glock 19. Plain and simple, flat-out reality. We carry handguns, 
because we can't carry shotguns or rifles due to legality or practicality. And that's it. There is no time that a handgun is a better tool for self-defense than a good rifle, carbine, or shotgun. And somebody's going to argue with me on that, and fine. And then talk to every single person that does professional training, and they'll tell you the same thing I just told you. So it's a way to make these things available. There's also other times we might want to do this. Backpacking, camping, simply having a truck gun, and, and not so that the thing that's you know in the truck behind the seat or something doesn't look like a gun. It's less likely to be a target for theft. It allows us to store more materials. Tons of reasons for this. Uh, and we'll talk a little bit more about some of them and some misunderstandings when we wrap up at the end today. But what I want to do right now is go through some of the styles of guns that are available as takedown guns, and some maybe you hadn't thought of. I want to start out with single-shot shotguns and, and even single-shot rifles as well. Um, you know, break action generally is what I'm talking about here. So you push a lever, release a button, something like that, the gun breaks in half, and it opens up, and there's a chamber, and you shove one down the chamber, you pull it up, and you shoot it. Some of them have external hammers that have to be cocked, but a basic break action single shot. Uh, most of them are able to be taken down to half their size uh, or close to half their size because the barrel is usually a little longer than the receiver in the stock by simply removing one or two screws from the forearm, removing the forearm, pulling the forearm off, opening the action, and taking the, the barrel out of the action. You actually, when you know what you're doing, can probably take one apart quicker than I just described it. If stored in a case with a simple screwdriver for the screw or screws that need to be removed, uh, it's something that can put be put into action very, very quickly. It's not much of a tactical gun, but as a camp gun, as a survival tool, as anything like that. And I don't want to go too deep into uh, into brands right now because we're going to go through a whole series of different ones. But the stuff from NEFHNR, the stuff from Rossi, uh, Savage makes some stuff like that. And, and any single-shot shotgun out there, uh, old or new, is probably going to fit the bill with that, which takes us right to the next thing that people don't think of as a takedown gun. But one of their big selling points, you know, is their takedown capability. And that's double guns and combo guns. So you're side by side and over and under double barrel shotguns. Most of those are able to be taken down very quickly. Some have quick releases. They have a little lever right in the form. You don't even need a screw. You pull the lever, you pull the forearm off, you push the release, and the, and the barrel just comes right out of the action. Many of them are sold in situations where maybe we have a frame. And then let's say with a custom double gun, a real expensive gun that you and I can't afford, maybe it comes with beautifully engraved you know, 12, 16, and 20 gauge barrels. Or uh, maybe we have a small bore built on a 20 gauge frame that will, will handle, you know, 20 and 28 or even go down and handle 16. There's a lot of like the high end stuff like that, but just about everything out there that's double barrel, whether it's a double barrel shotgun or a double barrel, some double barrel rifles, uh, there are some, uh, you know, rifle shotgun combos we'll talk about in a bit, which are really kind of cool. Those will break down for you. You can even break them down into smaller components if you want to because their stock is generally removable depending on the model with either a screwdriver or a long, a long extension socket of some sort. Most guns use a screwdriver uh, rather than a socket with a long extension, but there are a few that use that. So those can even be taken down further, packed into a case, uh, and transported. That starts to open up things like multiple calibers and multiple gauges when we look at that. Then I want you to think about the fact that there are also semi-automatic rifles that are specifically designed to be takedown guns. The two that I'm going to talk about today, and I won't say much on them just yet, uh, are the AR-7, which is currently me being made by Henry, and the Marlin Papoose, uh, which is both, they're both a 22 long rifle. There are other options like that. 
And these actually have a, a capability of removing the barrel by using a barrel, uh, a barrel nut that you loosen up and then you take the barrel completely off and they pack down in various different ways. Uh, but once they're put together, they pretty much function like any semi-auto rifle. Uh, bolt action barrel removal. There are some bolt actions out there that are designed for takedown. There's not a tremendous number of them. I've not worked with any of them, so I'm going to hold off on comment. But if you're a bolt-action guy and you're looking for a bolt-action takedown gun, there are bolt-action takedown guns. I'll let you think about the AR-15 and the AR-10 platforms. Uh, they are both takedown guns. Whether you, and, I, and that's another one I think that people don't really generally think of that. Hey, you knock a pin out, uh, you knock two pins out, yank them, and, and pull the receiver, shove the pins back in so you don't lose them, and uh, there you go. I mean, and that, that it's, it's in half. And then you've got the action in the barrel for your total length. Uh, those, so I think most AR owners, especially AR enthusiasts, have come up with ways to take down their ARs and to pack them and things like that just because it's such an obvious thing. But I think a lot of casual uh, users on the outside that maybe haven't purchased one yet or just, you know, they went out and they bought one but they've never trained in the military with them or anything like that or they're not really what you would call an enthusiast, just don't really think about them that way. But definitely they can be taken down and take up less space. They, because of the barrel and action combination length, it doesn't make them that short. If you look at a 16-inch barreled AR, uh, and then you look at the length of your, uh, your, your, you know, your receiver, your magazine well, your bolt carrier assembly, all of that stuff, uh, then you're looking at about 22 inches, I'm gonna say, off the top of my head. Somebody's gonna go measure it and say I'm wrong, but you know what I'm saying. It's a 20 inches or greater, and that's with a 16-inch barreled AR. If you go out and get, you know, your stamp and you get, you know, legal to own an SVR, short barrel rifle, uh, then you can go into much more compact format with an AR. Um, but I don't own one of those and I've not really worked with any very much. So I don't know how worth it it would be solely from the takedown component. I think there's a lot to be said for short barreled rifles, uh, from a tactical self-defense and law enforcement standpoint, force on force, uh, close quarters combat engagement, but I don't know if it's worth it just from a takedown platform because there's so many other options here. Uh, the lever action takedown, there are quite a few lever actions that over the years have been built in takedown models. There are lever action uh, take down uh, customization companies that you pretty much pick the uh, the rifle you want. A lot of these guys love to work with Marlins because uh, they're a great gun to work with, and they'll turn it into a takedown gun for you. So lever action is another one. Then there's what I call the foldable platforms. These are rifles that, that take down, but they don't come apart, or carbines that take down that don't come apart. Uh, the Keltec Sub 2000 and the Keltec SU 16, uh, and SU 22 series, I'm going to talk about in a bit. Uh, I fired the SU 16 and SU 22. I own a Sub 2000. I really like them. And so that type of format is very, very quick to deploy. And in most situations, like I said, you can carry a rifle anywhere, but you can't carry it loaded, but you can carry a loaded magazine with it. And to take a Sub 2000 from folded to open to loaded is very quick. Uh, you know, well under seven, eight seconds if you know what you're doing and you've practiced it. So your foldable uh, platforms tend to have the ability to be deployed quicker because I'm simply unfolding it and locking it in some shape or form. And then I think there's another uh, really obvious thing that a lot of people just don't think of as takedown guns. 
Uh, pump and semi-auto shotguns, your 870s, your Mossberg 500s, your Remington 1100 semi-autos. Uh, I don't even think I call it. It's like 1187 now or something like that. But uh, 1100 was you know, when I owned one. What it was, what their you know was their model. But any, just about any pump or semi-auto shotgun, you reach up right. Uh, by the you know the midpoint uh, right right at the end of the forearm and there's something up there some sort of knob and they're different based on the model you turn that knob and you yank the barrel right off and then we've pretty much again have the overall length it's not as short as something like a foldable or something that's a true design takedown weapon but it is much shorter and much less what somebody would think of as a rifle or as a gun. Uh, I don't have it in my show notes here, but I also should mention things like uh, with air rifles. Like the beam, there's a beam and combo gun that I own uh, that has two barrels with it, 177 and 22, and that would be considered a takedown gun, but it's bulky and it's heavy. And I don't know that I would really put it in the same category of what I'm talking about today because I'm talking about firearms. But I did want to mention it because it does technically take down, and I'm sure there's other air rifle platforms that do similar things. Probably for the express purpose, generally speaking, to uh, to allow barrel interchangeability. Okay, so let's go through some of the different uh, platforms, specifically ones I've worked with, and my thoughts on them. Uh, let's start out with a very, very popular one, which is the AR7. The AR7 would be a semi-automatic, um, true takedown uh, gun. Or rifle is the correct term, but let's call them all guns here and, and, and not be nitpicky ass clowns. Um, the AR-7 is uh, one of the Air Force survival rifles. The Springfield M6 would be another one, and I'm going to talk about that one next. But the AR-7 is basically a semi-automatic 22 uh, magazine-fed, seven-round magazine, and you can store three magazines with the weapon completely folded up. It looks like you can store two, but the reality is you can store one of the magazines in the magazine well. That could be fully loaded and ready to go. You could then store two more magazines in the stock. The key would be, would your jurisdiction, if you were checked, consider that magazine in the magazine well loaded? So a way around that would be to put an empty magazine in the magazine well to make sure the magazine fits in the package and carry some extra ammo in addition to the weapon itself. So you got to kind of look at that from a legality standpoint. But it's very easy to assemble, very, very intuitive. All you're looking at is the butt stock when, when the weapon is completely folded up. You pull it off, you pull the parts out. There's a couple magazines, there's a barrel, there's a receiver. The receiver goes into the front of the buttstock. There's a thumb screw. You don't need no tools to assemble it. Screw it together. Barrel has a, it's really obvious how to put the barrel on. There's a little lug that has to line up with a slot. You shove that in there. You screw it together. Uh, you take the, the, the cap from the back end of the buttstock. You shove it back on. The weapon's ready to deploy. It's got peep sights, which are probably a damn sight better than if you had, let's say, buckhorn-style sights. So when I say peep sights, the rear sight is all the way to the rear, kind of like an AR-15-style uh, iron sight. You're looking through a little hole. You're lining it up with your front side pin. I have one. I have heard a lot of reports of them being finicky with ammo, jamming, things like that with the older models. I have the the one that's being made and produced now, made by Henry. I have never had a failure to feed, a failure to eject, uh, or a jam with it. I have shot mostly Remington Thunderbolts in it, which I a lot of people badmouth, but I find to be the most reliable 22 round that's affordable that I've ever fired. I've fired some, I, I actually have a new GSG 1911, which is a 1911 
that's in 22 long rifle for practicing made by GSG, which is a German company, and it's supposed to be rated for high-velocity ammo to have good functioning. I have fired a variety of high-velocity ammo in it. Some, like the Remington uh, high-velocity hollow points, have worked well. Some, like the Winchester high-velocity, have had jams. But we'll, we'll go through that thing, even though it's not technically rated for it, or Thunderbolts. Um, so there's a high reliability there. I haven't fired a huge variety. I've thrown some CCIs through it. I've thrown some Winchesters through it. I've thrown some Federals through it, and I've had no problems. And I think that Henry is doing a better job on it than the older ones. So if I was going to go out and buy one today, one of these AR-7s, I would buy the Henry and I would buy the new one. Uh, here's my complaints about it. The grip, the stock grip where you're holding on to the, you know, back by the trigger with your trigger hand is very, very thick and it's not real ergonomic. It's much thicker uh, than the gun would allow for. It's a very lightweight platform. I think it's about three and a half, four pounds uh, with, with some ammo with it, if I remember when I weighed it right. It floats. So if you had it in a canoe pack or something like that and the whole thing got dumped over, as long as the pack itself didn't sink and take it down with it, it will float. It is not waterproof. It is highly water resistant. Uh, I have seen water get inside it when I tested that application. Um, I would say that the cap on the buttstock has a tendency to, in certain situations, come a little bit loose. Uh, doing something like placing a little bit of silicon around it uh, will help on both counts with that. You want a silicon that's not going to dry into a solid seal and not come undone for you, though. You don't want to glue it if you do that. Um, overall, I like it. It would be much better scoped. It has a little Pictimi rail across the top of the receiver. The problem is as soon as you were to scope it, you would lose the ability to pack it inside its buttstock. However, it seems like there's always a however, you would still be able to break down the barrel and put that in the buttstock and take the magazines and store them in the buttstock in the area that they're designed to be stored. It would still be very quickly deployable. I wouldn't count on it to float anymore, but it should. But I sure wouldn't want the interior of that receiver, you know, I wouldn't be going and testing it or anything like that. But it would still be a takedown model and it would be much better with some sort of an optical sight on it. Um, it's really not designed for that, though. It's designed to be throw it in a pack, throw it in a truck, pretty much mine, stays with an assortment of ammo, and, and, and will stay behind one of the vehicle seats or in a vehicle trunk or something like that because it's easily deployable. So I, I really like it. It would not be my first choice, though. Um, I received it from ready-made resources as part of a contest I did for you guys where one of the listeners got one. I, I would definitely, if I hadn't got one for free, have it on kind of my want list to eventually have one. But there are other weapons that would serve better for the intended purpose in some ways, in my estimation. Let's move on to the Springfield M6. This is another thing that came out of the U.S. Air Force. Uh, the Springfield M6 is kind of a combo gun slash folded half gun. It is a break action over and under, 22 long rifle and 410. It actually stores quite a bit of 22 long rifle and 410 ammunition in the stock itself. And, uh, but it's, it's more of a foldable platform than what we typically think of because it folds down that way, retains the ammo when it's that way, and instead of having to put it back together like a typical single shot or combo gun or double gun, we just simply fold it into place and lock it and, and rock and roll from there. I fired one from a guy I met at a, a range one time. It seemed reasonably accurate. It's not very ergonomic. It is very compact and packs well. I would say that it is far more versatile 
than the AR-7 because I can carry 22 long rifle and 410. That opens things like carrying 410 uh, slugs. I would not take a 410 slug as my first choice for, for taking game the size of deer, but I would take a 410 slug over a 22 long rifle for shooting a deer with any day. So it, it widens the area, and then also, because I have a 410, I can carry some birdshot, and now I have the ability to take wing game and other things that would generally be difficult to take with a 22. So overall, it has more practicality, but I think if you handle one, you'll see what I mean on the ergonomics. It is a utilitarian tool It is not really a great shooting platform, but it serves its purpose well, and you could do worse than owning one of them uh, and using it as a pack gun or something like that, or a truck gun, or having it as part of a bug-out kit or a vehicle kit as a addition to maybe a sidearm or some other weapon. Um, the next one on the, uh, on the agenda is the Marlin Papoose. Uh, Nut and Fancy says he believes it is the best survival gun on the planet. I don't know that I agree with that because it is a .22. Um, but I do think that as far as the takedown .22s go, it's one of the best. It's very inexpensive. It only weighs about 3.3 pounds. And it is very, very similar to the Marlin model... I believe that's the 795 is what they call it, which is magazine-fed. In fact, it, it is actually a 795. It's a, the, I think the only one they're making now is in stainless. It used to be made in blued. I think they've settled on for its purpose. Uh, they, you know, what they're marketing as 795 PSS, which is the stainless with the black stock, which I think makes a lot of sense. I don't own one. I have shot one quite a few times. I used to have one when I was a kid, one of the old ones. Uh, it's a great gun. Except for not having a wood forearm to, to grip, and you're gripping the barrel instead of the forearm, or you're grip another great way to hold this uh, gun is to take your hand and come up against the, uh, the short forend, I guess you would say, right in front of the receiver, kind of like you would handle an AR if you were gripping the magazine well. And it's very, very accurate. Uh, Marlin uses a micro-groove uh, technology in their barrels and all their 22s. I have found all the Marlin 22s to be very, very accurate. In spite of the fact this is a takedown gun, and they generally say that because of that they're not as accurate, the ones I've shot seem to be as accurate as most Model 70s, uh, most Model 60 Marlins or semi-autos. You know, good enough for the purpose. Uh, it only, like I said, it only weighs, I think, three and a quarter pounds or something like that. It comes with a zip-style case, and with that zip-style case, if you arrange it right and you put a small optic on it, it'll still fit back in that zip-style case with quite an assortment of ammunition uh, loaded up into magazines, and it's the same magazine the other 795s take. It, I, you know, I, I say I don't necessarily agree with Nut and Fancy as it being the, uh, and Nut and Fancy, of course, very well-known YouTuber, as being the perfect survival rifle, the best survival rifle, but on some levels he's right. Uh, with a with a decent optic on it, a small form factor, you know, let's say two to seven power scope or four power fixed or a two power fixed, uh, if you can find one like that with the short eye relief, it is really really good. You can carry, you know, a thousand rounds of 22 ammo is two bricks. Uh, you know, carrying 200 rounds of 22 ammo is four small boxes. They would easily fit in the papoose case with it. The case itself floats, so that takes away, you know, the inherent advantage that we would think of the AR-7 as being something that would float if used as a pack rifle in a canoe or something like that. Um, 
What I don't like about the case is it says, hey, there's a gun in me. Yeah, it really does because it says right on the side of the case, Marlon Papoose. You could replace it, but you would want to make sure you replaced it with a case that also floated. But I think that if you're marketing this as a takedown gun, branding and all is fine, but one of the inherent advantages of a takedown gun is it not screaming, hey, hey, here's a gun, here's a gun. And again, I want you to understand that doesn't necessarily mean the person with it is out for nefarious purposes. It simply means that there are times when you can carry a gun completely legally, but you just prefer not to be seen as doing so. Let's say you're coming home from camping and on your way into your apartment because you're an apartment person. You live in an apartment. And there's all kinds of people outside and all. You pick a, you pick a rifle up out of your car. You're completely within your rights to take it from your car into your apartment. Um, but, you know, I've never really liked doing that. So for the guy that backpacks and, and camps and canoes and stuff like that a lot, it is a great gun to have along and take with you. And you give up very, very little. If you put a scope on it, it's going to perform the way most semi-automatic uh, Marlin 22s are. The fact that it's magazine-fed, I actually think is a big advantage. When you're packing a, a rifle and it's magazine-fed and you have it on a sling and it's digging in your back, sometimes that's why you prefer something like the Model 60 or the Ruger 10-22. But for a gun like this, it's not, it's not what it's intended for. So it has a lot of utility and flexibility. It is something that I'm going to add to my collection soon. Uh, and again, maybe I agree, maybe I don't agree with nothing fancy on this, but I think saying anything is a perfect survival weapon is saying that all survival situations are the same, and they're not. Uh, so for something that hits a sweet spot, though, man, it's up there. The next thing I want to talk about are the single shots. Uh, single shot rifles and shotguns, multi-caliber and gauge. Uh, specifically the NEF H&R, uh, New England Firearms, uh, Harris, Harrison Richardson, which are now owned by Marlin. Uh, and Rossi. Rossi is another one. But there are others out there. But I have a lot of familiarity with the NEF H&R. These are what I was talking about earlier. Remove one screw, pull the forend off, open the action, yank the barrel out. Honestly, that fast to do. Uh, the big thing with these is not just that they're takedown. As a person concerned with long-term Should hit the fan style survival. One of the things that you would be very concerned about would be ammunition availability. And you might store a tremendous amount of ammunition, but anything used in barter situations simply due to limitations, having to leave and not being able to bug in and not being able to take all your ammo with you, what have you. If you had something like an NEF and you had, let's say, one that fired 20 gauge, so you had a barrel for each of these, a 20 gauge barrel, 12-gauge barrel, a 223 barrel, a 308 barrel, and we've had conversations about how 5.56 and 7.62 don't necessarily interchange. You can make it work if you got them. Um, you could also have the throats uh, done with these and chambered out to be true 5.56 or 7.62 because uh, they're very easy to do that with as long as I don't have to change the head spacing on them. I'm not sure about that, but I would think that would be an easy conversion. And maybe let's say something like 22 Hornet. Well, now, I have a gun as long as I can get any of those types of ammunition. I have a, a functioning weapon, a functioning gun that I can either use for defense or use for tactical situations, use to protect my family, use to put game in the pot. And I have flexibility as well if I have all the ammunition. I can go over to Lee and get a Lee loader for 22 Hornet. And I can store up some ammo, and I can load the 22 Hornet down to 22 long rifle ranges so I don't destroy small game, and I can load it up to its full potential, so now it's a 200-yard uh, gun. So I can do a 22 Hornet 
and a 20-gauge shotgun barrel and have tremendous flexibility just by adding that lead loader and some components. So one of the big things that these single-shot rifle platforms offer you is the ability to have a lot of caliber and gauge uh, flexibility. And that allows you to do things like, let's say you want to own a 28 gauge. The cheapest way I can tell you to do that is go get an NEF and 28. Uh, let's say you already have an NEF and 12. Send it into the factory. I think it's about 55 bucks, and they'll put a 28 gauge barrel on it for you. I want to talk about the barrel program, barrel accessory program with NEF H&R. There's some misunderstandings about it. Because you have to send your frame to them, I think some people think that means that when they do it, like you're stuck with it, and if you want it to go back, no, it's just what I said. Pull the forearm off, yank the barrel out, done. So you can end up with one frame that fires 20 different rifle calibers in every shotgun gauge. Different length shotgun barrels. Some shotgun barrels with fixed chokes. Some shotgun barrels with screw-in interoperable chokes. All of the uh, screw-in chokes with NEF H&R are interchangeable with the wind choke system. So if you already have Winchesters with screw-in chokes, those screw-in choke tubes will work with your NEF H&R as long as the wind choke uh, uh, model. Uh, so there's a lot of flexibility there. There is some limitations. The NEF H&R platform is built on one or two frames. There's the SB1 and the SB2. The SB1 is a shotgun frame, and it's a low-pressure frame, and just pretty much decide if you have an SB1, that means you can have different shotgun barrels put on it, and that's it. The SB2 is a rifle frame. Now, there's some newer and older versions, and there's a serial number that you have to check. But if you buy a new one today, it doesn't matter. You put anything you want on it. On the SB2 rifle frame, shotguns, yes. All the rifle options, yes. On some of the old SB2 frames, shotgun, yes. Rifle, yes. Some rifle, no. Some of the high-pressure rifles, no. Now, I don't think there's any reason for that. But I think that the uh, NEF, H&R, Marlins covering their ass. That might have even changed. They might have looked at it themselves and said that. I haven't been a big-time NEF enthusiast for a while. It was something I used to do a lot of. Um, I still have them, but I have other desires now. So I haven't really followed closely. So I don't know if they've just made it where any SB2 can get any rifle barrel or not. In any event... Before you order new barrels, you have to call their service department, tell them what they want. They give you a service number. You pack your stuff up with a work order number, and you send it in. The price list is right on the NEF website. You can click on Customer Service, Barrel Accessory Program, and see all of the things that are available. I actually want to give you an idea of how much is available right now because I think these guns are so cool and so affordable. In fact, just to make a point, I'm going to go ahead and read all the standard offerings. Uh, you can get... A 12-gauge, 22-inch modified barrel, those are $55. bucks. i am not going to give you the price on all of them, but most of the standard shotgun barrels are $55. bucks. You can get a 12-gauge with a 28 full choke. You can get a 12-gauge with a 28-inch modified choke. You can get a 12-gauge with a 24-inch full choke. You can get a 12-gauge with a 32-inch full choke. You can get a 12-gauge, 28-inch vent rib screw-in choke barrel, so kind of a fancier barrel with a ventilated rib on it and screw-in chokes. That's $85. bucks. Uh, to add to a gun you already have, by the way, here. 12-gauge, 24-inch, fully rifled with rifle sights for slug shooting. You can get a 12-gauge, 24-inch, 3.5-inch chamber with screw-in chokes. So this is really kind of a turkey rifle, or turkey shotgun, I'm sorry. 12-gauge, uh, 28-inch, 3.5-inch chamber with screw-in choke tubes. That's kind of your waterfowl gun there, right? 20-gauge, 22 modified. Back to 55 bucks a piece on these. 20-gauge, 26 full. 20-gauge, 26 modified. 20-gauge, 28 vent ribs. Same thing I said about the 12 screw and chokes and all. 20-gauge, 24 fully rifled with rifle sights. 20-gauge, 24-inch full rifled uh, scope rail. 28-inch, uh, 22 modified. 
28 gauge with a 22 inch modified barrel, so you can get a 28 gauge. A 28 gauge with a 26 inch modified barrel. 410 bore with a 22 inch full. 410 bore with a 26 inch full. Or a 410 slash 45 Colt 20 inch barrel with a modified choke. Whole assortment of choke tubes. Some 10 gauge stuffs I'll talk about in a bit. Moving on to rifle. I'm not going to read all the options. I'm just going to read the calibers. 22 Hornet, 204 Ruger, 223 Remington, 22 250. 243 Winchester, 2506, 270 Winchester, 280 Remington, 7mm 08, 3030 Winchester, 3006 Springfield, 308 Winchester, 35 Whalen, 357 Mag. I have one of those that's really kind of cool. 44 Mag, 4570 Government, 444 Marlin, and 500 Smith and Wesson. The rifle barrels average 96 bucks. A few special options are up to $114. The most affordable way to have multi-caliber platform I know of and it takes down the bad um, they do require a little bit of tweaking and playing around with to get them to shoot to the optimum of their accuracy some of them are real tack drivers some of them not so much it has to do with how they're fired when you fire a lot of rounds out of them very quickly in high pressure you build up heat in the barrel they will start walking on you what I mean by walking is each round shoots just a little bit higher and you get angry and you keep shooting and you get the barrel hotter and they continue to do that um, the reality is that doesn't really mean a damn thing for the, what these uh, guns are intended to be used. Obviously, this is not something to lay down a high rate of fire with. And for typical hunting, sporting, uh, and, and survival situations, it would be a moot point. Uh, but it's something to know and be aware of. They're also not light. Um, they are short, even when fully assembled. Because they're a break action, there's no breach. There's no, cha you know, it doesn't, there's no action is a better way to look at it. The chamber goes right up against the breech face. There is a breech, of course. So that means that if you look at, let's say, a pump-action shotgun, and you know you let your chamber, and that's where you put your round in, and then the bolt goes forward and carries the, the shell into the barrel, that whole mechanism, that you know six, eight inches uh, of hardware, just goes away, and the barrel collapses right back to the, to, the, uh, to the rear stock. And because of that, they're short, but they're heavy. A NEF H&R Handy Rifle will weigh about 7.5 pounds, So that's not real heavy, but it's heavy for, you look at it and it looks, what I'm saying is when you look at it, it looks much lighter than it is. You pick it up, you're kind of surprised by the weight. Switch over to your shotgun barrels, you're generally looking at about six and a half pounds. If we put together, therefore, a case, so, uh, with let's say three or four barrels and one receiver, and it, it is kind of heavy. But, you know, they are what they are, and they are cool. And for the person that wants to be a hand loader and play with stuff and tweak stuff and play around, man, they're a lot of fun. And it's a very affordable way. Think about what it takes, you know, if you wanted a 35 Whalen right now, you're going to go look at a Remington 700. They don't make them in all the different models. They don't make them in an entry-level model. You're looking at $600 to $1,000 or more where I can go out and buy an NEF H&R. If I find one in 35 Whalen, I can go buy it brand new for about $250 bucks retail. If I own any H&R SB2 rifle frame, I can order one for $96 bucks. And I'll have, let's say, a 30.06 and a 35 Whalen. And that's, that's unique. That's cool. The 10 gauge was something I missed. The 10 gauge frame is completely different. You can take a 10 gauge, you have different 10 gauge barrels put on it, but you can't put the 12 gauge barrels and the rifle barrels onto the 10 gauge frame. It's because of a sizing difference. It's just a bigger frame. It's not designed for compatibility. So 10 gauge kind of out there when it comes to this stuff. I want to move on to some foldables now. Keltec Sub 2000. I own one. I love it. I love it. Folded. It is 16 inches long, which means I used to carry it, for instance, in a rolling laptop case. 
uh, with a couple magazines. And you can deploy it in a matter of seconds. Uh, they make a little magazine holder that will hold an extra magazine or the magazine so that when you yank it out, it's got a magazine with it. It's not loaded. It's a rifle. So anywhere a non-loaded rifle can be carried, it can be carried. It takes up not much more room than a typical handgun. I have seen people with jackets with zippered pockets that can carry one in a zippered pocket jacket. You could carry it in the field in a backpack. So simple, so easy. It's very lightweight. It's very reliable for what it is. It's amazingly accurate. It's available in 9mm and 40 Smith & Wesson, compatible with several different handgun magazines, including SIG uh, 226 and the Glock. Uh, the Glock magazine, of course, is available in high capacity up to 30 rounds. A sub-2000 with a 30-round magazine is a lot of firepower and a very little package. Even the SIG 226s have uh, magazines that are available up to 20-round capacity mags. I think there actually are some aftermarket SIG 226 mags in 9mm that do go to 30 rounds. I don't know about the reliability, though. Uh, but definitely you can get SIG official SIG mags that are designed to work in a SIG with 15 and 20 rounds uh, capability. They're not cheap, but you know they're going to function well. So it's a great gun. It's a great home defense gun. It screams. It screams out, put optics on me. A low-powered optic or hollow sight is just beautiful on one. They make a special forearm that looks kind of like an AR forearm uh, for end that you can add on to it. And when you do that, it gives, the, it gives it more capability with, let's say, a tack light or something like that in the optic. What it does, though, is immediately kills the fact that you can just fold it up into this tiny package. Even though it'll still sort of fold, once it hits the optic, it's big, it's bulky, it's weird. Nothing Fancy also loves this, this platform. He has a whole video on it where they have optics mounted on it with this special forend. And it is great. You can watch that video if you want to. I'll link from it here today. But it ruins the packability of the gun. To me, it takes. it's no longer a takedown gun. The minute I put that on there, it's really not a takedown gun anymore. Um, I haven't seen anybody build an optic for it or an optic platform for it where it's designed that it can still be folded and maybe the optic removed. And when put back on, the optic will return to zero. That would be optimal. It's probably an option for somebody out there that's an entrepreneur to build that. Uh, what I have seen somebody do, and I, I don't know if I can find the video on this, uh, but I'll try. I saw a guy take a, a strong spring-loaded hinge, like from a hardware store, and he mounted it to this thing. And so the optic was mounted to the one side of the hinge, and you pull the hinge, and you fold it, and then the optic sits out to the side. He claimed it held zero. I have my doubts, but it looked like it worked fairly well to me. That would be awesome. Leaving it the hell alone, though, and just using the sights that are on it, they're very adequate for the ranges this thing's intended on, i.e. out to about 50 yards. Least you think you don't have a lot of firepower with a sub-2K or sub-2000, there is an option that I don't think a lot of people realize how great the option is. Don't buy a 9mm. That's what I own. I like it. But if you want more firepower, buy a 40. Now, the 40 Smith is an improvement on the 9mm, but in a lot of people's minds, a marginal one. More recoil, you know, the recoil is much more additional than the actual knockdown capability of the 40. What nobody doubts is that the 10mm is a massive improvement on the 9mm. 
And, and it's a significant improvement on the 38 Specialist plus P. Uh, honestly, an improvement over the 357 Magnum. It is right at the edge of 41 Magnum performance. Well, friends, guess what happens when you take a 40 Smith & Wesson and put it through a 16-inch barrel? You get muzzle velocity equivalent to that of a 10 millimeter out of the 10 millimeter handgun. So effectively, your SIG 22K, uh, your, your uh, Caltech Sub 2K and 40 Smith and Wesson with the right weight uh, projectiles becomes effectively a 10 millimeter from a performance standpoint. And if you have a 40 Smith handgun that goes in consort with it, sure, when it comes out of the handgun, it's still a 40 Smith, but you have interoperability. So if you have a Glock or a SIG in 40, and I think there's a couple other platforms that they have interact interoperability with, uh, and I'm not saying they're all interoperable. You, if you want your, if you have a SIG 226 9mm, uh, then you need to buy a sub 2000 in 9mm designed to be compatible with SIG mags, not one that's designed to be compatible with Glocks. You have interoperability. Fold it up into a case, handgun, uh, and uh, sub 2K. That's a lot of firepower, a lot of flexibility. As the 40 Smith uh, in Wesson comes up to 10mm performance, in a 16-inch barrel, I now have something take, take, capable of taking, taking medium-sized game. Uh, I saw Ted Nugent shoot a Cape Buffalo with a 10-millimeter handgun. I wouldn't advise it, but he did it and proved that it works. So if it'll kill a Cape Buffalo, it'll kill a white-tailed deer. Again, ammo selection critical to maximize that, but what a great platform. It's almost my reason for disagreeing with Nutton Fancy on the Papoose being the best survival weapon. The problem is, what do I shoot squirrels with other than headshots if I want something to eat? What do I shoot tweety birds with if I'm down to eating, you know, sparrows? And before you laugh at sparrows, uh, grilled crispy sparrows in northern Vietnam are a delicacy, just so you know. Um, so it lacks the ability to come down, and it doesn't have a lot of firepower to really go up. I've got a 50 to 100 yard weapon. I uh, definitely have a 100 yard weapon with optics on it. There's no doubt about that. It excels in a, a close quarters combat situation, though. Is it as good as a, as a really good tacked up uh, M16? Absolutely not. Or, I mean, AR-15? Absolutely not. Is it good, though? Yeah, it's really good. And again, 40 Smith & Wesson. I'm throwing 10 millimeters down there. Again, for those that might be confused by that, The only difference between the 10 millimeter and the 40 Smith is the 10 millimeter is a little bit longer of a case and loaded to higher pressures. It is exactly the same as looking at 38 Special versus 357 Magnum. Is really a way to look at it. And it comes from limp-wristed limp FBI agents that couldn't shoot and couldn't hold a full-frame weapon, is really what it does. The magazine well, being a little bit thicker, wasn't as great for small hands. And uh, it was also considered overpowered, that it was more likely to overpenetrate, which I think there's some mythology there that a higher velocity round actually is less likely to overpenetrate with the right ammunition selection. But the FBI had started to let agents in without the height requirements and size requirements. Remember that back in the 80s when they were deciding to go to a new caliber and they ended up settling on the 40 Smith. And then after that, many law enforcement organizations throughout the United States had to use the 40 Smith. But the 40 caliber is a 10 millimeter. It's just the 10 millimeter has a little bit longer case. It's the same slug is what I'm saying. Okay, So there you go. Another weapon I've handled, I've played with, I've looked at, I've never shot, but I like and I've seen some good reviews on are the Caltech SU series, the SU-16 and SU-22. A Caltech SU-16 is kind of like a light version of the AR-15. 
It it functions very similarly. Uh, it it's lightweight, but it folds in half much more compactly than an AR platform does. I wouldn't call it an equivalent platform. From the reviews I've read and the opinions I've, I've, I've gathered, I wouldn't call it as reliable, and I wouldn't call it as accurate, but I would call it damn close on all three. And it allows for that packability that the AR platform doesn't quite pull off. The brilliant thing to me that Caltech did when they came out with the SU-16 is they made it compatible with AR-15 slash M-16 magazines. So your Magpul magazines, your USGI magazines, all of them will function there, and that gives you the capacity, uh, so the same amount of firepower capacity as you would have in an AR platform. In a foldable, uh, lightweight platform with great accuracy and, and fairly decent reliability. When we look at, uh, let's say, the SU-16A, I'm here right now, the uh, the weight unloaded is five pounds, so it's a very lightweight platform, and I have the ability to store uh, magazines in the stock. So that now I have to think. I don't think I can put a thirty round mag in the stock. Uh, I think there are ten rounds that will fit in the stock, but that means I can store the weapon ready to deploy. So I've got it folded up. It's not loaded. I've complied with that when necessary, but I can immediately put it into deployment very quickly. Um, I can I can run just about any type of optics I want to on it due to the way that it folds down uh, because the the stock folds underneath not over the top like the uh, like the sub 2000 does and because of that it opens itself up to holographic sights uh, conventional optics combat sights you name it I think it's a home run from Keltech one thing I gotta say about Keltech here though if you want innovation. And I mean, coming up with something no one else has thought of and doing something no one else has done, go to Caltech. If you want value for your money, go to Caltech. You can get things from Caltech that when you look at the price versus what they're delivering, blows away competition. If you want to be able to actually buy what they've invented within two years of when they released it, quote unquote, released it, um, Caltech sucks. Caltech, if you're listening, please. Turn up the speed, guys, man. I've, I've been looking for one of them. They have a new shotgun. It's a bullpup design. I've been looking for one since I got back from SHOT Show. It's been released since last year. Can't find one. The only ones are on GunBroker. Are selling for about $1,500 because of limited availability. People are selling them second, you know, secondhand. They're used, but they're brand new. Because they're limited availability. And it's a great, awesome-looking shotgun. And I want one. Uh, I know it really doesn't fit this, but it's very, very short. It's about as short as a shotgun can legally be without being taken down, and uh, it's not available. So I have found it hard to find at gun shows, sub-2Ks and SU-16s. The SU-22, everything I said about the SU-16 except the 22 long rifle. Okay, so not quite the same stuff as far as AR magazines and all, but it's basically an AR-style 22 long rifle in the Keltec way of being AR-style. Uh, so it's cool, too. In some ways, I like it better than things like the Marlin Papoose. Uh, it lends itself to a lot of different things that you can do with it from an optics standpoint, where the Marlin Papoose, what to me would make many Marlin 22s better is if they would go to a Ruger style for mounting optics, where you can actually screw bases down instead of the grooved receivers. I've never been in love with grooved receivers, though I love, I have a Marlin Model 25 I've carried since I was 12 years old. 
Um, if my house was burning down and I got the wife and the dogs and maybe some pictures out and I could grab one gun and everything else I was going to have to file insurance on, I'd probably grab it because I have so much history with it. And it's a grooved receiver and it works fine. But I like a more sure mount for scopes and, and other optics. So that's one weakness of the papoose I didn't mention. Uh, where when you got to pick Timmy Rail, I've, I've got something totally different from a reliability standpoint, which is partly why they're so popular on military and law enforcement grade weapons. Uh, I want to move on now because we're getting long here, but the Browning Winchester Savage and Marlin lever action takedowns in various calibers, and I've seen them in 22. I've seen Brownings in, in 300 win. I've seen Brownings in 30.06. I've seen Savage Model 99s. They've been out of production for a long time. These were back in the 20s in 300 Savage, 250 Savage. Um, there's all different kinds. I don't know of anybody, and I could be wrong, currently making lever action takedowns other than Browning. I know Browning right now you can go buy a brand new 30.06 and take down and a brand new 22 lever action takedown and they're cool. Winchester, Savage, Marlin all have made them at different times. Marlin had their guide gun and takedown not very long ago. I was actually shocked when I went to the Marlin website and prepped for the show that they didn't say it's discontinued, but I don't see it there anymore. So I got to believe it's no longer available for Marlin. There's some things that Marlin made that I wish they would bring back. The Camp Carbine in 45, that was awesome. Um, the Lever Action Takedown Guide Gun, uh, definitely. The Guide Gun 4570, great, great platform, great caliber, lots of knockdown power, lots of versatility, lots of loading. If you hand load, lots of range from fairly light to just freaking sledgehammer uh, loadings. I wish they'd bring the Guide Gun back in that takedown. I was thinking about getting one. Uh, as I was researching this show, and it's just not available. And then Marlin made, it was like a, a guide gun mini. And the guide gun was designed for you know, kind of the Alaskan uh, hunting guide in mind to back up his client with a bunch of firepower, big, heavy, 500-grain, 45-70 slugs, lever action, fast, reliable, lightweight, easy to carry when you're not the main hunter. Uh, and a lot of guys were using them to hunt things like moose and deer and things like that as well because a little bit shorter, uh, what have you. Well, they made this 16-inch barrel, 44 mag, Magnum, uh, 1895 model, like the 1895 44 Magnum I have, with that shorter barrel, and it was ported. And everybody thought the porting was stupid. What do you need ports on a 40? Ports are designed to reduce recoil, and when you port them up, they're designed to keep the muzzle down, so you get less muzzle jump as well. You've got some of that gas venting up, so that's going to force the barrel that naturally comes up down. Um, I thought the ports were kind of dumb too, but that didn't make the platform dumb. A 16-inch barrel 44 Magnum lever gun? Are you kidding me? Uh, when I bought my 1895, I went to a store up in Pennsylvania and said, I want that. And they said, we don't have it anymore. It's gone. I had looked at it like five times and, and talked myself out of buying it. I ended up buying the standard 44 Magnum 1895 because it was discontinued. And that's what the guy said. Well, the ports are dumb. I'm like, yeah, but the 16-inch barrel versus a 20-inch barrel isn't. Uh, what a great woods level deer gun uh, with us uh, with dust shot now you know uh, uh, bird shot shells you're looking at something that can take small game at reasonable ranges as well load it down all the stuff I've already said about the 44 in the past um, so I, I know I kind of drifted there but Marlin man leaving these out so what I'm saying is if you're looking for a lever gun from what I know and if, if I'm wrong somebody please let me know the only people making one brand new today are Browning. But there's a lot of them out there in the in the Winchester series, the Savage 99s, and the Marlin lever actions. Uh, if you go to Gunbroker and search takedown lever, uh, you'll find a lot of old stuff that's available. Some are pricey, some are not too bad. 
Uh, what I like about the browning, though, is the browning is a lever action that's magazine-fed, which means I can use uh, spire point bullets in it, which means I can increase my effective range, unlike the Marlins where I'm looking at 3030s and 35 Remington. Um, of course, Marlin has the new ones now. They use the polymer tip-pointed tip bullets uh, in, a, in a standard, uh, uh, so, uh, what do you call it, tubular magazine, so you can get kind of that performance out of that, like the 308 Express and what have you. I don't know that those have ever been made to take down. I am not blown away by that. I'm really not. I think that it would be a much simpler process to, to go to a, if you want to use a conical uh, bullet, go to a magazine-fed system uh, versus a tubular magazine system, and you take away the whole concern about having, because the reason they do this, folks, is you think about a pointed 3006 lined up in a tubular magazine with the point of the one bullet directly aligned with the primer of the next one. And then you've got the recoil, so you could set the whole damn thing off. That's why you can't do that, uh, other than if you fire it single shot. Or actually, I would say you could. Uh, with, if you wanted to load up your 3030 with, uh, with spire points, you could actually carry two rounds, one in the magazine, one in the chamber. But you can't put two in the, two in the magazine, or you're risking blowing yourself up. Uh, so I do like the Browning approach. The Savages, I believe, Savage made some with that kind of box magazine style as well. I think that's what the 99 is. I've never actually shot a Savage 99, but since they are available in things like 300 Savage, which is kind of a it, people are going to take this the wrong way, a light version of the 308. And the reason I say that is the 300 Savage came out before the 308, and it has ballistics that are just under the 308, uh, not because it is truly what I said. Ballistically is what I'm talking about there. Uh, 250 Savage, so they have to be that. But again, I've never I've never handled a Model 99. I should try to do that at the next gun show just to get some experience with the platform. Uh, but those are all cool. And the thing about the lever action takedowns, once you put it together, it's a lever gun like any other lever gun out there. So if you like lever guns, you'll like a takedown lever gun. What a great hunting gun. Uh, for you know Another thing, like taking them on airplanes, when you can break a gun down, you walk in even with a, a, a clearly locked case and all, and you're checking baggage, it's just one less thing that kind of identifies you as someone carrying a firearm. Not for nefarious reasons. Look at it this way. If I'm hanging out in the lobby of an airport and I want to grab something and run out the door, that great big beautiful gun case is one of the things I might grab and run out the door with. It just opens you up to more things and more questions and more concerns. Um, so, so there's my thoughts on, on that kind of as well. I uh, also want real quick just to talk about pump shotguns. I mean, I don't think a lot of people think about that flexibility. Same with semi-autos. I'm just going to you know, kind of reiterate what I said already. The fact that you can you know, undo a thumb screw, pull the barrel off, and cut the length of it in half is something that a lot of people that already own them don't even think about. So you're thinking, I want a takedown gun. Well, if you have a Mossberg 500, a Remington 870, a, a Remington 1187, a, you know, whatever, a, a, a Browning Sweet 16, for God's sakes, any semi-auto or pump shotgun that I'm aware of is easy to remove the barrel, reduce the size. It also offers flexibility because you can buy other barrels at other lengths and other choke uh, uh, constrictions as well to create some interoperability. But you don't have the gauge flexibility like you do with single shots and double guns. Uh, 
I also want to talk a little bit here now about all double shotguns and break action combo guns. I talked about, let's talk about combo guns real quick. I talked about the Springfield M6, which is 22 long rifle over 410. Savage, I don't know if they're making any of, again, one of these discontinued things, but there's tons of them out there. Everything from 22 over 410, I've seen 22 Magnum over 20 gauge, I've seen 223 over 12 gauge, and they're, what they are is an over and under configuration. So one barrel over the other, one rifle barrel, one shotgun barrel. Lots of flexibility. I don't know if they make a 22 long rifle over a 20 gauge, but that would kind of be the ultimate uh, hunting tool. 20 gauge slugs, medium sized large game even, no problem. 20 gauge buckshot, close range on medium sized game, defense. 22 long shots on things like squirrels and rabbits and what have you. 12 gauge with any of the appropriate loadings, birds, rabbits, squirrels, you name it, uh, turkey, Heavy shotgun shells, headshots with a 22. I mean, it's just so flexible. Your limitation, of course, then only is capacity. I've got one round of each in, carry my extra ammo and things like that. Takes down uh, very, very simply, just like any of the other guns. So awesome. Double shotguns, double rifles, same thing. Take a, take a thumb screw out, take a screw out, pull a lever, whatever it is, depending on the model, breaks in half. And then a lot of your double shotguns again, and your single shot shotguns as well, but your double shotguns offer the flexibility of gauge interchangeability. And they do it in a couple ways. One way is having a complete barrel swaps out. Another way is they make inserts that simply slide. So you take your 12 gauge, uh, you open it up and you put these inserts in there and now I can fire 20 gauge in there. I can put another set of inserts in there. I can fire 28 gauge in there. I can put a different set of inserts in there. I can fire 16. I can put a different set of inserts in there. I can fire 410. Pretty much they're made for just about every gauge as long as you're going down. I've never seen a 28 down to 410, uh, but I've seen 20 down to 28 and 410. I've seen 16 down to 20, 28 and 410, and I've seen 12 down to all of them. So you can step down with your inserts so if you want to be able to go to 12, then start with your 12 and work down from there. That can be pricey or it can be inexpensive. There are a lot of double guns out there, over and unders uh, and side-by-sides now that are quite affordable, actually, compared to what we normally think. Now, Stoger's got various variations of the coach gun for a few hundred bucks. There's CZ makes some really nice, from some plain Jane to some uh, much more dressed up. There's uh, I can't think of the company that's manufacturing in Russia now. It might even be CZ that's doing some nice double guns, both side by side and under and over. And in some of the less available gauges too, like 410 and 28 gauge. Uh, again, some dressed up and some kind of plain Jane. What I've noticed, though, is in a lot of gun stores right now, especially your larger gun stores that do a lot of trade and stuff like that, not necessarily pawn shops, but your true gun stores. Like uh, one I noticed this at in particular was a bullet trap in uh, Plano, Texas. Lots of older double-barrel shotguns in both configurations uh, that were working man's guns, 50s, 60s, 70s, things like that, that people have traded because everybody wants a black rifle or a tactical rifle now or, you know, the super tactical shotgun, and they're out there. And I've seen, you know, 20-gauge nice side-by-side guns for $250 uh, that are in pretty good shape. I've seen some for under 200 bucks that basically you need to take the stocks off and refinish them and maybe clean up the barrel and put a little perma blue and give it a good cleaning and oiling and, and, and it'll almost look like the day it came out of the box 50, 60 years ago. 
And that's not going to go on forever. They're a real opportunity right now to pick up guns like that. When I went to, I just went to a gun show down in Texas, I picked up that GSG 1911, and I picked up an old Mossberg 500 ET or ES, I don't remember what the model number was, in 410 shotgun, and I looked for some doubles, and I didn't see a lot of what I'm talking about. I've seen more of it in the shops than the shows. Uh, I think a lot of the times people don't bring them to the shows because they don't think they're going to sell well. I'll tell you this kind of at the end, just so you know. If you're at a gun show and you see a reasonably priced 410 shotgun, I'm talking $200, $300, something in that range, that's in good shape, especially the Mossbergs, uh, it's a buy. I bought one for $240. Bucks. It looks pretty nice. I'll do a review of it for you guys soon and what have you. I think it was made somewhere in the 1950s or 60s. I've taken it out. I've shot it. It patterns really nice for a 410. It patterns a little high, but you can adjust that with hold, or maybe I'll even play with uh, some barrel regulation on it or something like that. Uh, but this is the big thing. I bought it. I walked away from the table. I got 15 feet from the table. Somebody asked to buy it. I walked by the next table. The guy behind the table said, what do you, what do you want for it? I walked a little bit further up. Another guy behind the table wanted to buy it. I'm in one row so far, right? And I said, I just bought it. He said, I have a, uh, a semi-auto uh, Remington uh, over there in 410 if you want to look at it. He wanted $750 for it. I told him he wanted way too much for it. Kept, walked on. I had two other guys that stopped me before I got to the end of that row. Went down the next row. Repeat. Wash, rinse, repeat. Wash, rinse, repeat. While I was sitting down filling out the paperwork to buy the GSG, The guy that I was buying the GSG from asked what it was and then wanted to buy it. And the guy sitting next to me said, are you sure you don't want to sell it? Uh, that tells you there's a demand for those. And technically, takedown gun, one, one, uh, one thumb screw and you're down to half size. So, uh, just a little thing there at the end. I want to cover, I know we're long today, but, uh, I want to cover just a few more things before I wrap up. Some misunderstandings about uh, takedown guns. Number one, uh, a lot of them are 22. And when I go to, like, I do research for shows like this, and I want to know what people in the preparedness community are already thinking about the subject. So if they're right, I can bring it to you. If they're indifferent, like, you know, they're right and they're wrong at the same time, so I can go one way or the other, then I can be honest about that. And if they're wrong or they just don't get it or I feel they don't get it, I can address it. Here I've got kind of all three. The kind of gray area, I think people can sort out for themselves with this. But the the typical tactical moron is what I call it. You know who I'm talking about. I'm just going to get my gun and go shoot everybody and take their stuff. And, and I'm going to make sure no that guy, right? Okay, those guys typically re reply when anybody asks about these, these uh, takedown 22s. And says, for shit at the fan, that's not what you want. Uh, 22 is only good for small game at best, and it's not good for self-defense. And uh, it's just got so many other limitations. Um, I'll tell you the, the, the cold, hard facts about the lethality of the 22 long rifle. Every year, when you take out military and law enforcement use of weapons, because neither one of them use the 22, the 22 long rifle kills more people in America than any other caliber out there in spite of all the gangbangers carrying their nines. Flat out the truth. When you look, there's a lethality report. If anybody can find this for me, please get it to me. I lost it. I can't find it. I really need to start using a bookmark service like, you know, Delicious or DJO or something like that again so I don't lose stuff like this. There's a lethality report out. Well, they looked at all these gunshot wounds. And the difference between something like a 38 Special and the 22 for one-shot stopping and one-shot kill were ridiculous. You have to read the report and understand its actual medical data to even believe it. Um, the 22, when used properly, is a lethal little weapon. And I'll tell you why. 
penetration. I want you to pick up a pencil right now or a thin pen, and I want you to look at it. You know, something that's about 22 caliber in diameter. And I want you to imagine now that it's a couple feet long. And I want you to think of taking that with a point on it and shoving it through your lung or your heart and telling me how good you're going to feel if it goes all the way through and out the other side. If you get through the bone, that's what 22s usually do. They penetrate like crazy. And usually, and this is what makes them so deadly, when they hit rib, because it's a low-velocity round, comparatively speaking, to something like a 223, it doesn't completely lose its stability, and unless it hits the bone just perfect where the bone really breaks and it slows it down, it usually deflects off a round bone like a rib bone, turns just enough, and then just travels almost still in a straight line. And it bores a bastard of a little hole in you. Ronald Reagan, uh, our, I think, 40th president, let's see, 40th whatever he was, Ronald Reagan was shot by John Hinckley with a 22, little 22 handgun. And when the round went in, he didn't even think he was hit. He was thrown to the ground by one of the Secret Service agents who promptly after they kicked Hinkley's ass and, and, and helped other people like Brady up off the ground and got them medical attention, whipped the president into his limo and headed off to the hospital just in case. Reagan had some blood coming from his mouth and told the Secret Service agent, you must have cracked one of my ribs when you threw me to the ground. And then Reagan almost died even though they said the wound was not that severe. A fraction of an inch separated us from President George Bush in the early 80s versus the later 80s and early 90s. And that was one round. When we look at something like an AR-7, we look at something like a Marlin uh, Papoose with a seven-round uh, magazine-fed action. Six or seven of those can come out of there in a couple seconds, and since there's almost no recoil, they can all hit very close to the same point of impact. You have a formidable weapon for, in a survival situation, tactical or mid-sized game, if you have to do it. It will work. It's not my first choice at all, but the whole concept that it's worthless, I would like the person that says it's worthless to stand about 50 yards away and let somebody open up on them with a, you know, a, a full tilt bore Ruger 1022 with a 25 round mag and see how they feel uh, after they become, you know, uh, full of holes. They'll be quite dead. It is a very effective round, far more lethal than it's given credit for. Uh, next one, takedown guns are only for people that want to hide a gun in some nefarious manner. I've kind of covered that already, but there are so many aspects when being able to break the weapon down has advantages, specifically for people that canoe, that backpack, that camp. And when we look at hunters as well that travel, uh, things like a breakdown lever action or, 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 or takedown uh, bolt action take on a whole additional level, specifically as a backup gun. Imagine that you've saved your whole life to go hunting elk in the Colorado Rockies and you're out on horseback that day out from base camp and smash, there goes your rifle due to some accident. You haven't brought a backup gun. Maybe you guide loans you want or whatever. Wouldn't you rather have something of your own? Taking an extra gun into that situation, if it packs down, makes it more practical. There's just a tremendous number of times as well where it's not about hiding a gun. It's not advertising that there is a gun. And those are very, very different things. When I think of hide a gun, and, and outside of the concealed carry world, which is a legal issue, because that way you're not brandishing, but when I think of hide a gun, I think of making sure nobody knows it's there to hide it, like, 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 like bury it in the ground, hide it. It's more about not advertising to me. 
Because, just like I said, you come home, you're out in the middle of your neighborhood, there's kids playing in the streets, whatever, and you pull that big rifle case out. In many places, not a big deal. For a lot of us who live in urban areas surrounded by yuppies, it is a big deal. Sometimes it results in a call to the police. Let me explain something to you. You come home, you live in a state with freedom, you go in, you pull your, your rifle case out, you walk in, your coffee-drinking, yuppie-ass, pain-in-the-butt neighbor sees it and goes, oh, no, maybe you're going to assassinate the, uh, the the leader of, us. Uh, you know, I don't know, whatever, you know, or some weird crap gets in his head, and he calls the police. They're coming. They're going to come out and go, what went on? You're going to go, I went here, I got the gun out. Went in. And as long as it's like New Jersey or something like that, right? You know, Texas, they're going to go, oh, okay, well, yeah, that's all right. And they're even going to go tell your neighbor, dude, but do you, do you need that? Do you need that grief? So in certain situations, especially where you do these things frequently, you've also just advertised to everybody in your neighborhood, some of them it might not be so nice, hey, guess what? We have guns! Come steal them when we're not home. Because the one person that can break in your house, absolutely knowing you're not home, is some of your neighbors. Young kids especially, kind of the teenage years where they do dumb crap. We all did dumb crap. I never did that. But we all do dumb crap, especially males from about 15 to 18. Really dumb stuff. Well, maybe some of those people live in your neighborhood. Uh, I've also seen some comments on blogs and forums and stuff that said, just take down guns are just not good for shit at the fan scenarios. I just think you're an idiot. Uh, there's, if you, if you believe that, uh, there's a difference between optimum and good. Uh, in any situation, you give me the complete situation in advance and I know exactly what I'm going into, I can pick an optimum weapon for that situation. The reality is when we say shit hit the fan, we don't know what the situation is. There's no way to know what optimum is. And, you know, having a 3006 and needing to feed yourself with squirrels is definitely far from optimum. There are some things we could do if we had some other things with us. I could tell you how to use just a little tiny bit of powder, the primer, and a lead fishing weight to turn your 3006 into a squirrel gun, um, but it's less optimum than a papoose with a couple boxes of ammunition, isn't it? So I just think when you say something's not good for, uh, you're assuming you know the condition. So if you'd say a takedown gun is really not great, a takedown Marlin Papoose is not great for a tactical entry situation involve, involving a heavily armed uh, opposing force. Absolutely. But is that what shit at the fan means? We don't know. Uh, I also have seen a lot of people say, well, they're more prone to failure. Takedown guns are more prone to failure. Not in my experience. First of all, we talked about levers, or not levers, um, singles and doubles. Uh, the most uh, trouble-free thing out there is a single-shot uh, shotgun or rifle. Uh, there's so few things that can go wrong with it. It's so reliable, so dependable, always works. And you can say pretty much the same thing for your doubles. Uh, pumps and semi-auto shotguns, come on. We have really reliable ones. We have not so reliable ones. Most of them are pretty reliable. Most people don't even think of them as being takedown, but they are. Every lever gun that I've ever actually had the opportunity to put my hands on has been just as reliable in a takedown version as a non-takedown version. Right up with that is takedown guns are not accurate. Again, not in my experience. Uh, it's, it's not been a problem. Uh, some guns are accurate. Some guns are not. Some calibers are more inherently accurate than others. Uh, I think that sometimes it's a shooter making an excuse um, for, for the performance of the weapon. I have found, for their intended purposes... Every takedown weapon that I've ever put my hands on to be sufficiently accurate for its intended purpose. Um, the person, the, the guy I mentioned, the, uh, the, the tactical survivalist idiot that wants the weapon that's accurate at a thousand yards has no idea why he really wants that weapon accurate at a thousand yards. I like thousand yard shooting. I think it's really cool. 
Uh, I think it's one of the most impractical situations, even in an all-out warfare, shit hit the fan a la Mad Max, because I want you to go outside of your house right now and tell me where you can see a thousand yards. If you live in Wyoming, in the middle of the prairie, you probably can. Most of the rest of us can't. So, uh, not only is the scenario highly unlikely in the fantasy Red Dawn fictitious brain mental masturbation these people have, but even the practicality there is highly limited. Is there a place for thousand yard or greater sniping? Yeah, ask some of the guys in Afghanistan. Um, about that, and they'll tell you. But is it practical for the average person? And there's no such thing as a thousand yards of self-defense, folks, in the civilian world. doesn't exist. So it doesn't make sense to me as a defensive weapon. It doesn't make sense to me as a, as a, as a hunting need. Uh, if you can't get one in a thousand yards of game, you need to work on your stocking, not your marksmanship. Uh, so I hope I've given you kind of a new understanding of what takedown weapons are, uh, a lot of different options, a lot of different guns that you can consider, and maybe make you realize that you have takedown capability right in what you already own, uh, or the next time you go to add something to that, maybe consider this is not a need but a factor in your decision. If you're between two and one offers takedown capability or caliber flexibility or gauge flexibility, maybe that becomes part of your decision-making process. Uh, I want to do some more shows on uh, uh, rifles, shotguns, and things like that. Uh, it's a subject I'm very passionate about have a lot of fun with. I plan on as soon as we're done here today, I'm going to go home, and if my wife's feeling better from the store next she's had, I'm going to get her to uh, shoot some of the new 22s that we bought before 10 and uh, try to get her more active shooting. So I'll be doing definitely more shows on firearms. If you have a subject you'd like me to talk about with firearms in particular, let me know in the show notes today. If you have an action or a weapon or a model or something you would have liked me to have covered today, uh, but I'm just not aware of or don't have practical hands-on or couldn't fit it in, because again, uh, I can't get everything in. I'm at a minute 20 in a show where I usually do an hour, or an hour 20 where I usually do an hour. Uh, but go ahead and let me know in the show notes. I'll try to get in a future show, and if nothing else, you can share it with the rest of the folks. With that, this has been Jack Spirico with another episode of the Survival Podcast. Helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough, or even if they don't. It's in our food these days, you know it's on our TVs. Sometimes we forget we are what we eat. I don't know the answer. It's like there's nothing I can do. It's the price we pay, I guess, we follow all the rules. There's a better way to do this Let me show you a better way You don't have to be another face in the crowd Don't have to live the way they tell you Someday we'll realize our children just can't pay Cause nobody up there cares they're living for today
revolution is you. Yeah.